Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline as we dive into the 5 o'clock hour. From the morning show, Kevin and Query, that's weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. Jake Query joins us. I don't know, Jake, if you could tell... Bringing us back in was Crocodile Dundee Part 1. It was the original. Um, I maintain that Crocodile Dundee 2, one of the few sequels that, that, to me, absolutely is better than the original. Anything come to mind? Sequels better than the original. Oh, um, boy. You know, I I know some people would tell you The Godfather 2, right? I think Rocky 2 was better than Rocky, quite frankly. Because there was a Uh, winner and it wasn't a... A draw and going to Apollo Creed upon the draw. He maintained yeah, his belt. Little, uh, you know, the original Rocky was a little slower in developing the storyline of, of Rocky and Adrian. You know what I mean? So it was a little more, it had a little more, I guess you'd say. But, but no, Rocky too, he won is the reason why though, right? If it would have been another draw and Apollo would have, you know, gotten the belt back again, it wouldn't have been as good. I, I, yeah, I'd agree. Although the, I'll tell you what, I, the, the the count scene when they're both down on the canvas. Sorry if I'm spoiling this for anybody. <laughs> sure. It came out in 1979, I think we're safe, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, the count scene when they're both down on the canvas and it shows everybody, like, you know, yelling for Rocky to get up. I mean, I think it's pretty awesome. It's a little... You don't like when Paulie goes... Blah, blah, blah. Paulie's just, like, <laughs> screaming really loud. Okay. That's what he yells. Get up, Rocky. <laughs> it actually sounds like he says, get up, Mickey, which is even weirder. But, get up, Mickey. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to think of other movies where the sequel, where I enjoyed about Superman 2? Superman 2. Superman 2 had uh, uh, Neil which before Zod. Scott Pollard-looking fellow that was yeah. stuck in the had Scott, Scott Pollard and Zod and the, uh, the chick. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> decent, not bad, you know. Right. Okay, here you go. And I'm not a Star Wars guy at all, but I think there are probably people, people that would tell you that either Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi are better than the original Star Wars. Maybe that's yeah. Well, the problem know. with the Empire Strikes Back is anything with Yoda in it automatically drags it down. So anybody, any, anything with which one? Uh, Yoda, I'm, I'm, yeah. that whole Dagobah system Yoda crap just was so boring. I'm sorry. Can't do it. So I, I mean, listen, I don't like Star Wars at all. I've only seen the first three, <laughs> and I saw them in the theater, and I wasn't overly overwhelmed by them. I was young. But Yoda is pretty cool, man. Like, just, I mean, just the way he talks, he's a cute guy, right? He's How about I mean, Jewel, years old, Jewel of the Nile? Better than Romancing the Stone. Believe it or not, never saw either one of them. you believe that? It's understandable. Never um, saw now, I will never – and I, I saw Crocodile Lundy. I don't know that I ever saw the second one. Oh, the second uh, one, man. The second was great. They were they were running in the outback or mixed backyard away from uh, drug kingpins that were trying to get them. Awesome. Just awesome. Now, how about this? Speaking of outbacks, how about this? So my friends from Australia come to the Indy 500. Seven guys from Australia, all Australians. 
And so we were going to the parade. I mean, right. I did the whole weekend with them. I took them to the car bed, I took them to the parade, I took them to the race, the whole deal, right? So before the parade, I had ordered an Australian flag off Amazon because I thought it'd be cool for them to have the flag to wave like when power goes by, you know. And the the shipment got delayed. So I mentioned it on the air on Carb Day, and one of our listeners was kind enough to say, hey, I actually have an Australian flag you can borrow. I go, perfect. So we did. Power stopped in the parade and came running over to them. It was awesome. So then, after they go back to Australia, I get the Australian flag from Amazon in, in the mail. And I'm like, okay, I can take the time to return this. And then I thought, you know what? So I call Outback Steakhouse. And I'm like, hey, question. I have an Australian flag that's still in the packaging. I, I having no idea the decor of, even though I love Outback Steakhouse, I'm like, would you guys want it to just put hang in your bar or whatever? And, John, I kid you not, you would have thought that I was calling to ask them if they wanted Super Bowl tickets. They were elated. Then I took it into the Outback Steakhouse, the Australian flag. Yeah. Like, the entire staff came out to thank me. They gave me a free dinner out of it. And Sweet. acted like I dropped. I, I, I'm like, how does that? Yeah. In, like, the 40 years of Outback Steakhouse, how at a marketing meeting did nobody ever say, you know, we should probably get an Australian flag to hang in the bar? <laughs> That's pretty cool, I mean, though. That's cool. Yeah, they, they, I mean, I got a blooming onion and everything out of it. It's great. So, Jay Query, the morning show, Kevin and Query, weekday morning, seven until ten a.m. here on the fan. I, I, do you think that this old Jonathan Taylor thing is is going to work out? I, I guess this is a two parter right here. Is going to work out according to the script we have seen most recently with other running backs, or do you like me believe the situation here in Indy as it moves forward here with Anthony Richardson? Do you believe it to be different than what your average other NFL running back team situation might be? I kind of believe both can be true, and let me explain. I got to thinking about this, because you and I talked a little bit about it earlier, too. I disagree with you a little bit in this area. I I don't disagree that Jonathan Taylor has more value to the Colts than he does other franchises. I I don't have any question about that. He means more. You know, quite frankly, it's a lot like Miles Turner. You know, people can say Miles Turner. Well, Miles Turner, I mean, in the NBA, who would want Miles Turner? But what Miles Turner brings to the table is what Indiana wants him to bring to the table. That's what people fail to realize here. And in Jonathan Taylor's case, he is an elite-level talent. There's no doubt about it. He is one of the most dynamic running backs at breaking plays in the NFL. And seemingly a very good teammate, good guy, hard worker, everything you'd want. No question about it. And theoretically, I think you make an excellent point that when you have a young quarterback that's trying to get his footing – a critical running back is very important to that. The challenge is this, and this is what the Colts are going to have to figure out. And I always go back to precedent. In this town, we have a precedent of a franchise quarterback in Peyton Manning. Now, Andrew Luck, a little bit different, but in the case of Andrew of Peyton Manning, they had Marshall Falk in-house. Marshall Falk was about ready to get to a second contract. He was an elite-level player. A little bit different era offensively, but still an elite-level player and a running back. And the Colts prayed him for what turned out to be Mike Peterson and Brad Scioli, and they draft Edron James. And people are like, are you kidding me? This guy just ran for more yards than anybody in the history of the Pro Bowl as a rookie and yada, yada, yada. Now, you know, he's, he's going into a second contract. But they opted to go with 
the player that not only was going to be less expensive because of the rookie deal, but also I think a big part of that, John, was they wanted a player that was going to be reaching his peak and his prime at the same time as Manning. And then, of course, they, they went with a die after that. And Edrin James, by the way, joins us on the program tomorrow on our morning show. Edrin's just a fantastic conversation, by the way. Yeah, he's he's great. Um, and so for the Colts, it is true that Jonathan Taylor has more value here than probably a lot of places because of the fact that they have a rookie quarterback that needs his footing behind him. Problem is, Jonathan Taylor, contractually speaking, in order to – if you go beyond one year of that experiment, now Falk did have Manning for a year. They did a year of it, and then they moved on. I could see them doing that again because instead of paying a lot of money to Jonathan Taylor, they want to bring in a running back that hits his peak at the same time as Richardson's you know, getting into a stride. Problem is Richardson may be more than two years from that. Right. You know, he's a player. Uh, yeah, I, and, I just, and that's, that's why I think you, you expedite that process if you make sure that he's supported as well as you can support him and we sit around here and talk about wide receivers and talk about tight ends and talk about an offensive line that really what you're doing this season jake is you're crossing your fingers and saying yeah you know last year uh, here's a do-over i mean that's what you're doing you're crossing your fingers and hopefully this is a do-over get a new coach at the position and you know new new staff new head coach all together new quarterback whatever but i i think anthony richardson and his incredible level of inexperience it is necessary to have like if this were were different with, with Peyton Manning having the inexperience as Anthony Richardson, you may have had a different outcome in that situation that you bring up. Quite like I think needs to go down here. I, I again, I get what you're saying, and I'm not saying necessarily even that you're wrong. I just think that I don't know that they know the definitive answer. I don't know that any of us do. You might be right about that too. Yeah, but but I but I there, listen. What is definitive is this. What is definitive is. Jonathan Taylor is an elite-level player. There's no denying that. And he does something at the running back position that very few guys in the league can do. The question the Colts have to ask themselves is, does Jonathan Taylor – is Jonathan Taylor – if you are able to get another running back at 20% the prices of of what you're going to – well, probably 20 is low, but – 40 percent if you're able to get another running back at 40 percent of what it's going to cost you to have jonathan taylor behind anthony richardson but he can bring you 80 percent of what jonathan taylor does then do you have to explore that that they have to figure that out and a lot of that probably depends on the schemes that they're coming up with what's interesting to me if you look at Shane steichen's offense you know a lot of the a lot of the ball movement they're going to do on the ground may be anthony richardson it may be but that also is facilitated by having a running back behind him that defenses have to take serious. So I, I think it's a, a fascinating dilemma for them. Um, and I don't think, you know, for this year, I don't think there's any denying the fact, John, that Jonathan Taylor, they need him on the field this year. And But the, the problem they're going to run into is maybe to get him on the field this year, you've got to take care of him beyond that because oh, yeah I, I think i would agree with you on that too I, I think you need him this year and and next and and here's part of the thing too you, you bring up a great point about what we don't know yet because you can bring up miles sanders a year ago and i think you were pointing out the offense in philly 
which was high volume. There's no doubt about that. And I think Sanders had, what, something like 1,269, 1,270 yards on the ground. Um, and then, you know, when everybody left town, coaching staff-wise, they felt compelled in Philly. He's, I think, now in, in Carolina. So what I'm getting at here is you saw the necessity of this offense at the running back position, you know, even with a quarterback that was, you know, kind of evolving into to what we have seen this past year, but you also at the same time saw Philly deem him as expendable, which he is now in Carolina. So there's, you, you still don't come up with anything definitive here, just a lot of conversation as to what is was necessary. I just I think that Taylor, to me, is, is as vital as any other positional player on this team for support of a quarterback that just doesn't have experience and you want to see him get going and evolve sooner rather than later. I just think this is a very important time and maybe that position with that level of talent shouldn't be screwed with. The last part, I mean, I agree with that. You know, the other thing is I think they have other I still think they have other areas of need they haven't addressed. And that's the other thing, you know, where does the running back position fall in their depth chart of, of needs? Number one, but the, and because you're talking about and the market might help them out here. I, you know, they, I guess the big thing that probably favors the Colts in this situation is that if you're Jonathan Taylor, the market is not going your way at all. No doubt. I mean, when, and so they might be, you know, what is he going to, demand well i don't know but is he going to be able to get that elsewhere i mean if he comes to them and says i need 12 to 15 a year and they say good luck Pollard got 10 as a, as a on a franchise tag i think ultimately what they're going to end up doing is probably have him play out the year and then franchise tag him. and now you get an extra year out of it they can franchise tag him up to three times they're not going to do that because it's guaranteed to be a 20 percent raise from one to the next and eventually you're going to bleed over into more than what it would cost you to just sign him outright anyway. But I'll bet, my bet would be that they that he plays the year and then they franchise tag him. That's my guess. No, yeah, I, I would agree with you on that too. I just, I, to me, you need, again, you're just going to have to have that support. I think oftentimes, again, I understand why in other places that position's viewed as disposable. It just is. And, Jake, that's not going away anytime soon. I just think that, especially nationally, in terms of of how it's broken down, it's never talked about here. And I understand because this is not an exciting team whatsoever. Not at all. But at the same time, I think that this position of value, everybody always talks about market value. Market value is gone at running back. I think the market value here with Taylor is higher than it would be anyplace else. So I think you're right. I mean, there's going to be much of a market for him outside of here. So some common ground resolution is, I guess, what you kind of would expect to happen ultimately, right? Yeah. I I mean, ultimately you'd expect that, but, you know, I, Again, I, I'm I'm more conservative with it, to be honest with you. I, I think if you can use that – and, again, they've got some cap flexibility, granted. It's not like they're totally strapped for cash here. But I'd say you tag them for a year, and then you, you, you kind of kick the can in that regard, right? And you see what else is out there. But a lot of that just – they need to find out where Richardson's development is, John. That's, the, that's why I say you tag them, because that gives you two years to really find out whether or not Richardson's your guy. If, if – I think after two seasons, you're going to know whether or not Anthony Richardson's the guy you ride with or you're back to square one. And that's, that's when you can truly then determine what happens with Taylor. Oh, you said two years is what you said? 
I think two years is what it's going to take before we know for certain, don't you think? I think it'll be longer than that. That may, I mean, man. I do. I think it's going to be. <laughs> I think this is going to take. Fair, and this is going to take some some patience and perseverance. I think uh, for a group that doesn't. And I again, I understand why you don't have it around here. A group that doesn't have it. I mean, to be fair, and I'm not. I'm not making this comparison because they both happen to be, you know, big, strong. African-American quarterbacks. I don't want people to think that, but I'm thinking of guys that turned out to be really good players that took some patience. Steve McNair is one of them. I mean, I remember McNair, you know, the first couple of years he was with the Oilers and then Titans, it wasn't like he just took off right away. I mean, it took a while. Uh, And then obviously he molded into just a really good player and MVP level player. I mean, he shared an MVP with Manning. So maybe, but, but it seems like with most quarterbacks, John, you know, if they're re- if they're if they're regular starters, you know by certainly fifteen to twenty games in, in whether or not you've got something or not. I mean, Trubisky comes to mind. You know, they knew around that it took them about that time for them to finally decide to go ahead and and you know change course. I, Jalen Hurts, I'd have to look at to see. I can't remember. I, I know that he was put in obviously in unique situations, but turns out to be a great player. So across the board, but Richardson's young. I'll give you that. He is young, so maybe it does buy a little more time. And again, that's one of the reasons why you pair him up with Shane Steichen, and there's a lot riding on Shane Steichen and being able to coach this thing up offensively to, to make it work, and you know, you point to the production of the running back, and with the success you saw with Jalen Hurts in that Philly offense a year ago, there was a lot that had to do. And don't get me wrong, they have A.J. Brown and, you know, what uh, Dante Smith and a lot of you know, talented guys offensively on that team, which the Colts obviously need to follow suit and develop talented guys, but one of those resided in the backfield too. So that's, uh, I think, something to watch for. If you were, and again, they don't have to pick and choose between either here, but if I were going to ask you, and I am here, would you put more value in production in what you expect to get on the field? Would you put more of it into Michael Pittman Jr. or Jonathan Taylor? Who do you count on more? Who would you suggest more is going to deliver for this offense, what this offense needs? Well, the player that I think, the player that I think is more let's assume they're both health, both healthy. Okay, let's start there. If both are healthy, the guy that is, I think you can rely on to be a safer bet to say that they're going to have a great year would be Taylor because he has shown that when he's healthy, he's a dynamic player. I like Pittman's game. Now, that said, of those two guys, the guy that you need more than the other to have the big year would be Pittman because he's got – I just, I truly believe that from a court, I, I don't disagree with you that a running back is important to keep defenses honest, to allow, to facilitate for the growth of a quarterback. But for a young quarterback, you've got to have a, a receiver. You've got to have a, a safety net. Andrew Luck had it in Reggie Wayne. You know, people forget that that first year of Andrew Luck was Reggie Wayne's like, he was like born again and he was amazing and he had a great season and that really drew a comfort level for Andrew Luck. Peyton Manning had it, believe it or not, in Torrance Small. Marvin Harrison separated his shoulder. Torrance Small became a, a very familiar target for Manning, and I think that gave him a comfort level. The other thing you need is is a reliable 
receiving tight end. But I think Pittman is a very important part of the the progression of Anthony Richardson. Yeah, you mentioned I, I say I say three years in if you get to, for example, year number three and, and year number two was a lot like year number one, that you're going to have some some issues. But I, I think that that's because 13 games is just nothing. And there is so much inexperience here. And I think schedule-wise, I think it gives you a chance week in and week out. Again, most weekends of the NFL season because the schedule is is not tough. But, Jake, if you're going to look at the over-under right here and set it at six, uh, there's no way in the world you take the over. Ooh, I'd put it, I'd put the over-under at seven and a half. Really? You think they're yeah. going to win? You think they could win eight games? Based on schedule. I'm not saying they're that good, but based on schedule. Mm. I mean, Tennessee's still going to be figuring things out. Hell, you could sweep Tennessee and Houston. You could also get swept by them. Don't get me wrong, right? Um, yeah, I, I think so much of the NFL is hell. But I'll be optimistic and say they could go 7-10 and 10 or 8-9. and nine. Man, I thought I was being optimistic saying they're going to win one more than they did a year ago, even with that schedule. Again, my answer is based more on schedule. And I'm also curious to see – Maybe I'm also expecting. I I think with your scenario, then Jonathan Taylor does get paid because he's probably going wild. Yeah, I mean it's hard to argue I, because they're running but, the damn ball. They're turning back the clock to run the damn ball hats of a year and a half ago. See, I, I just think I heard earlier when you were saying that Taylor's more important to the Colts the way that they want to do things. I don't disagree with that. He might be more important to what they want to do. I just don't think that the way to win. That that's how you win in today's NFL. I just don't. I mean, I, I they know better than I, I guess. No, no, no. You're right. If you're talking about winning Super Bowls, you're absolutely right. But we're just talking about winning games in, you know, your average you're week in September. Yeah. You're going Jim Moore. I just hope we can win a game. <laughs> See, that's when, when people bring up the argument of, well, look what Kansas City did. Well, okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll look what Kansas City did because that starts with Patrick Mahomes and really yeah, starts I mean, and ends with him. And a well-rounded team will do that for you. But yeah, the Colts are, are far from any discussion involving that. No question. No doubt. And and again, like you and I have talked about before, there are times where I think to myself, it might as well be a two- to three-year window because when you've got Burrow, Mahomes, Allen, and hell, for that matter, Lawrence, I don't know if you saw ESPN did their annual survey of general managers, scouts, and different coaches around the NFL and asked them to rank the quarterbacks. And they asked them to only rank the top 10. But that's still gay. I think they asked them to rank the top 20. I'm sorry. And then amongst that, they released the 10 highest vote getters. And, I mean, like all of them basically are the AFC. I mean, it's Allen, Mahomes, in no particular order. Allen, Mahomes, Burrow, Herbert, Lawrence. I mean, they have all those guys right there. And Lawrence is only, I mean, hell, he's in his third year, right? And, I mean, Allen is, you know, just now probably in the second year really having come into his own. Mahomes is amazing and still relatively young based on his age. Herbert, I think the world of. So you might as well give it two to three years because 
you're in the right-hand lane and nobody right now in that traffic jam is moving you over into the left lane. Yeah, and I, I think that for – like this is different in Jacksonville now. You can always kind of expect them – to screw things up on their own, yeah. but they're they're past that clown act of Urban Meyer now. You've got a, a real dude, Super Bowl winning dude, as a coach. That aspect is not going to go away, and unless they're sidetracked by, you know, a major injury at quarterback, I they are on the right track, and and uh, I just I just don't think that they're going to go away for the time being because of that. Call Urban Meyer a clown act. Here come the subtweets. <laughs> I don't think you've ever. Been uh, they, that was a lesson learned right there. And then you got to go with somebody that's that's real and a real winner right there and has won before. And that I just think that's different. I mean, right? Their environment just looks completely no, different now no, than it no did. Question, no question about it. I mean, it was that was a. You know, to me, the the. the I know that obviously the Urban Meyer, the, the video that came out of him in the bar and all that, and that's that's a whole different talk show. But like the fact that he wasn't flying back with his team, I just think it's weird. I I don't know. I think it's weird. It just that right there, that looked like a guy that was just completely checked out and was there for a money grab. And I think those players saw it. And he never. I don't think Urban Meyer ever lost the Jaguars locker room. I don't think he ever had it. I think people just immediately were like, and it was amazing to me, John, because I thought at Ohio State. For the first part of his tenure at Ohio State, I thought his teams were the most disciplined teams in college football, which is part of why I hate on the field, on the field. I'm not talking about at Florida where he was running, you know, they, it was like it was like Oprah. Like, you get a charge and you get a charge. But, but when he was at Ohio State, his teams were very well disciplined. And in Jacksonville, he looked like he had no control. From the <laughs> you get a felony. You get a felony. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly right. You get an indictment. Yeah, it's terrible. Oh man, I don't. I don't know. I just look at. I look at it, it, it differently in terms of the AFC South, and I, I hope that people around here have. And I, I hate sitting here preaching patience because so many people have been, you know, sold a, a bill of goods about the high levels to which you expect that clearly they haven't even come close close to reaching yet. But uh, I, I think it's going to be that type of situation i just hope jake i hope it's a situation that it's the rookie quarterback that they're going to be lumps that you take your lumps and you move forward as much as i like gardner Minshew, i don't want to see gardner Minshew because that means that you have it not ready for anything rookie quarterback or an injured rookie quarterback and you don't want either I think one of the real benefits of Gardner Minshew is that Gardner Minshew totally understands that. I think he knows why he's here. Um, you know, when it comes down to it, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, one of those guys is probably going to be a 10 years from now, they're replaying the night he was drafted because he's on his way to Hall of Fame career. One of those guys is probably going to be, you know, a serviceable, nice Ryan Tannehill-type career, and one will be a bust. And I don't know which one's going to be which, but each of the three better hope that their guy's the first one. Uh, looks like a, a, somebody just sent me, because um, he has not been active via Twitter social media, but evidently on um, Shaquille Leonard's Instagram. Is this true right here? He um, He's working pretty, pretty strongly right here, wherever he is, whenever this was. So fine work pretty strongly. Now he's like running around. <laughs> I can't, I, mean, I, can't, I can't tell he's running around in some grass. Does that pique your interest enough? Did I set the stage for you, get you interested? 
I mean, it's man. I'll tell you what. It's <laughs> he's, he's running around and doing cone drills in the grass. Okay. So I mean, that's cool. Uh, listen, I, I hope he's able to go, and I hope he's one hundred percent. He's a hell of a player. But yeah. He's got to be one hundred percent. He's. He, his motor is such that he has to have that motor. That's what separates him from the rest. There's no doubt. That's absolutely right. If he doesn't have that, then that is going to be a struggle. Did you guys say you had Edron James on the show tomorrow? Edron James tomorrow at 745. We're going to ask him about the – I'm curious to know his thoughts, what the Colts should do about Jonathan Taylor, what kind of player he is, and the mindset going into camp. Did he come up with the term crunk, or was that his friend Little John? I think that was Little John, right? Remember Crunk? Remember when that was really popular? What was that, like 2002, 2003? Let's get Crunk. That's correct, yep. They even had a song, I think, didn't they? I did. Well, they played it all the time before kickoffs, right? At the Colts games back in the day? Do you remember the time that Bill Pullian let the locker room decide what music they were going to play? They played some song that had like nine (laughs) F-bombs the coach like we didn't they said out a statement we did not oversee (laughs) we apologize i should have gone with the clean version i I don't know if i'm alone in this um like him or loathe him and i i did like him um the bill polwin stories are the absolute best are they not they're the absolute best Countless, right? Here, here's here's where I give Bill Pullian a ton of credit. I was I was really harsh about Bill Pullian, and it, it did, and it wasn't always fun. It didn't make me popular, that's for sure. Not that I mean I didn't have necessarily the the platform that I do now, but not that I have a big one. But I'm saying I was the number four guy at the number five stage. So did now. did he ever get into you? Is that did you have an axe to grind at all? I did not have an axe to grind. I'll tell you something interesting. I probably told you this a million times, but. When I was at Channel 6, the Pacers were the number one seed in the East, and the Colts were, you know, starting out 12-0 and every year. So I did, like, a completely lighthearted, fun piece where I took each player on the Pacer roster and said who their Colt equivalent was. And at the end of the story, I asked – the story ended with me asking Reggie Miller, are you the Mike Vanderjet of the Pacers? Because you're cocky, you, you hit game-winning threes, you know, you win games when it matters. And Reggie Miller laughed and said, no, I'm not the idiot kicker. And like kind of laughed, whatever. And I actually tagged it by saying, maybe not, but let's hope that in the clutch he continues to be as, as key as Mike Vanderjad or whatever. Bill Pullian, by the next morning at 9 a.m., I had like 10 voicemails from the general manager at Channel 6, which was not common, asking me to come in the building. And I went in. And he said, Bill Pullian has already called over here and said that if you if we don't get a written letter of apology to the disrespect shown to the franchise on official station letterhead, he is revoking your credential and all the WRTV credentials for the season from covering. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> like, really? And we, which never did happen. We never did deliver that. And then I saw him at the combine and he said, I believe you, you, you disrespected this organization. You disrespected the franchise. And then later, at the end of his career, I was doing an interview with him, and I said, look, I was really critical of you and the way that you handled things from a personnel standpoint. And Bill Pullian said, you know what, that was probably a fair criticism because I was so intent on winning and focused 
that at times I probably mishandled just the overall. He knew everything, <laughs> Jake. He he was aware of everything that was going on. Everything. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know, but he but he basically said like I was so. I was. He basically said I, I mishandled the way at times that I treated people. And, I, and for him to – and he said – and so your your criticism was probably very fair. And for him to say that, I think he respected that I admitted being critical of him, and I respected that he admitted that that was probably justified. And I gained a ton of – I mean, I already had respect for him as a football person for sure, but I thought that was super cool, and I gained a lot of respect for it, and I've always respected him for that. I, I got to go right now, but one final polling thing is before I was allowed to go to the draft, I was at the other station, and, and this station at the time would not allow me into the draft building uh, because of some clown thing here or whatever. You probably understand what that was. So I was sitting over at the Hyatt, and it was where a lot of the coaches and people were, and Bill Polian sat down with me. We were under the escalator, sat down with me, and one of my friends went over and wrangled Dan Rooney, the late Dan Rooney, and he started to bring him over. Dan Rooney, I'm going, man, Dan Rooney, that's going to be a great interview. And Rooney got halfway there and said, oh, freaking Polian sitting there. I won't get a word in edgewise. Forget it. <laughs> and walked away. Totally believe it. Totally I thought, man, what a classic story right there. But I, I missed the days when Polian was there, and it was wintertime in the playoffs, and they put up portalettes in the parking lot, and the media had to go out and use the portalettes outside. That's beautiful. I love those stories, man. Those are the best. And winning, winning, too, was going on, which uh, made it all funny in, in, uh, in retrospect. All right, buddy, I appreciate you. Tomorrow morning, Edger and James, morning show. All right, thanks, John. For the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, I'm assuming the biggest Darius Rucker fan on the face of the earth. He is the voice of the Pacers, Valley Sports, Indiana, and a grandfather. Congratulations for the second time. He's Chris Denary. Hello, Chris. Hey, John. Thank you very much. Uh, just, uh, yeah, what a thrill. Uh, last week, welcoming Walker Michael Denary into the family. Uh, my son, Evan, and his wife, Meredith, uh, we were down there all week and got to spend a lot of time with him. And, uh, yeah, it's just it's special, I think, for anybody that, you know, is a parent and then has had the experience as a grandparent. It is it is so fun. So uh, really excited that we were able to be down there. Uh, we were in Michigan the week before and then last week in Myrtle Beach, where our son and daughter-in-law live. So. Uh, yeah, it was, it was really cool. He's, he's doing great. You know, it, in some regard, it was tough to come home, but uh, uh, we'll, we'll see him again very, very soon. Myrtle Beach, what was the uh, average temp down there? See, that's, that's what I dig, though. I'm assuming in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, it is uh, hot and humid, right, this time yep. of year, every day. Yeah, it was very hot and humid. Uh, my it. son and daughter-in-law live in Conway, and they, they live uh, probably about 10 or 15 minutes from the beach, and um, they're right by coastal Carolina, and so it's probably a little warmer there, more inland. I bet. Uh, they, they have a, a German short-haired pointer that's two years old, and he needs a lot of attention, and so uh, Gramps was the attention giver. So, uh, in fact, last week, <laughs> Greg, was fill- Greg was filling in on the Noon to Three show, and I was walking Dutton. Uh, at that point, it was about a two-mile walk. So if anybody goes back and listens to that show, uh, I know I was huffing and puffing because Greg asked me, he goes, hey, what's the temperature? And I think it was about 90 at that point, you know, in the mid-afternoon. But, uh, yeah, it was – So you basically uh, I mean, went from like 35 degrees in Michigan <laughs> to 90 in South Carolina, right? That's a change. Uh, 
We had, yeah, we had great weather in Michigan. It was in the 70s, maybe touched a little bit into the 80s and uh, had a great time uh, with our older grandson. I sent you the picture yeah. uh, today. Uh, last Friday, he went to his very first Reds game at Great American Ball. Nice. Now tw- 20 months old. He had a City Connect jersey on. What's funny is uh, his mom, Emma, she and her family are big, big Cubs fans. And, of course, my son, Wilson, is a huge, huge Reds fan. And so Emma sends us a picture of Archer in the uh, in the in the Reds uniform, and she goes, don't tell my family. And Will was quick to send a text that said, Cubs schmubs. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's how it and should be. So, uh, but, you know, hey, I, I, I tune in a little bit whenever Tucker's out there, so uh, – uh, yep. but, uh, well, I mean, Tucker yeah. got some time on the mound, too, so recently. A little mound time, so. That's what happens when those games get out of hand, right? Yeah. Yeah, they do. He um, he was he was throwing some nasty stuff up there. I'm sure he would say it just like that, nasty stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Probably reminds him of those uh, Little League days in Brownsburg. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt about that. Uh, Chris Denary is with us. What do you think about the all-encompassing for the Pacers Summer League campaign? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the first two games that were really, really good, and, and of course they had Andrew Nemhard, Benedict Matherin, and Isaiah Jackson all on the floor. That's going to make a big difference. You've got two guys that had really good rookie seasons, and Isaiah Jackson hitting the third, uh, you know, his going into his third season. So it was a little bit different than the the last three games where you didn't have those type of players. But you know, you're able to see Isaiah Wong. Uh, you saw the two rookies in in Shepard and Walker. Uh, Oscar Shibwe, you know, out there. So, you know, from that standpoint, I, I think it's good. I mean, yeah, you want to win games, and they won the first two and looked pretty good, but it's really about developing uh, your talent. And I, I think when all said and done, that's what they were able to do. I said this regarding Jess Walker. I, I just thought he performed in a fashion that, again, gave you a good feeling about how he'll make the transition collegially to the NBA because you don't want any question marks. I don't think you were left over at all with any question marks. And really, you kind of wonder with the work that you expect him to put in because he does, you know, have a great deal of fire lit. Other aspects that maybe you weren't thinking about can get better. We're all we obviously think about the three-point shooting. That's that's going to get better. He's going to get better at that. But there are other like even playmaking aspects that you saw and you kind of wondered, I wonder if he can be utilized in that fashion as he matures. Yeah, his ability to bring the ball down the floor and I think, you know, case in point, I think Rick Carla would would like to see it in the hands of Halliburton or Demhart or McConnell coming up the floor in a fast break situation, but clearly, you know, Walker's able to do that. I mean, what was it? The first game he had I know he didn't have the points. You know, people always focus on points, but it was something like eight points, 13 rebounds, five assists, three blocks, and three steals. <laughs> That's pretty good. Those are really, really good numbers. And I think, you know, we've gone on ad nauseum. The Pacers were fine offensively last year. They were a top-10 offensive team, um, even when Tyrese Halliburton wasn't out there. But the the fact of the matter is they want to be more physical, have a better defensive presence, and I think, Somebody like Jairus Walker, you know, will help in that situation. Somebody like Bruce Brown uh, is going to help. I'm really excited, John. I know you and I texted a little bit, um, you know, about what they were able to accomplish in free agency and with the trade. I mean, basically, uh, you got Obi Toppin for a couple of second-round draft picks. Now you used a couple of uh, second-round draft picks to send Chris Duarte to Sacramento. So 
I guess you could say it's a Duarte for top and trade. And then you're able to uh, get right into the free agent mix and get the guy you wanted in Bruce Brown. I, I thought that was outstanding. Yeah, well, we'll get back to that in, in just a second as well. But I was I was curious, and Chris Denary joins us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Uh, what else maybe caught your interest as far as this, this Pacer team? And I agree with you. When you had the guys that were already rostered up and went back there, you kind of knew what you're going to get out of them. At the same time, anybody else surprise you with a moment uh, to maybe of you know wow you know can this translate will this translate as far as the next level is concerned that you saw working for the Pacers out there yeah I mean I liked Isaiah Wong I mean I, I think they you know he was a scorer at at Miami and not necessarily a ball handler but when Nemhard didn't play in the last three games you, you had to make some changes and Isaiah Wong, you know, became really at times the primary ball handler. And, you know, he's on a two-way contract and, and will spend time, you know, with the Mad Ants, and that will give him an opportunity to, to really hone his game. I mean, you see a lot of players that have to make a lot of shifts when they come from the college game to the pro game. Uh, you know, you might be the best player on your college team, and that's not going to resonate as far as the NBA is concerned. So, so you've got to figure out how you can fit in. So I think somebody like him who – you know, as a proven scorer in college, I thought had some good uh, summer league games, but more importantly, um, you know, handling the ball. The the funny thing I, I told you about my daughter-in-law, Meredith, who uh, she's from Louisville. She's a U.K. grad, so she is thrilled that Oscar is now a part of the Pacers franchise. So we've got two Kentucky Wildcats uh, with Isaiah Jackson and Oscar uh, on this Pacers roster right now. Yeah, well... And Oscar, I kind of hope that at some point he works because two years ago the guy was the national player of the year and then doesn't doesn't get drafted. I'll give you a great example. I've kind of made the comparison or or at least drawn a parallel between he and, and Trace. And Trace ended up in a spot that I thought was perfect for him right now. And I've always said this, considering the circumstances, perfect for him. Whereas here, I mean, you've got to do a lot of things and get around a lot of players to to get to that particular position. But I hope at some point he does, because you know that he's incredibly talented. You know that he can rebound, and he has certainly shown it collegiately, but you just kind of wonder at times how much of an opportunity outside of this two-way deal he's going to ultimately get. Well, you know he's going to put in the work. I mean, I mean that, and and I was thrilled that you know the the Pacers were able to get him. You know, that's the the key to the draft is after the this year it was just fifty eight, not sixty players drafted. Um, you know, once that fifty eighth pick is put in, then teams are circling in 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 signing you know undrafted free agents, and so I think for the Pacers to get a caliber of a player like that, you know, says a lot, and it it says what what he sees in the Pacers organization and. You know, he's one of those guys, he can be a little bit patient, and the franchise can be patient with him and help him develop his skill level as he moves to the next level. Yeah, I mean, you consider that with when I, I was talking about Trace, too. You just you kind of get thrust in this situation where this is how and what design they have. This is how they see you and what designs they have for you. And it just kind of seemed like a, a piece of the puzzle that fits for him. And others kind of have to work their way into – now, again, he's still going to have to work. Don't get me wrong. But others are going to have to more so work into being that piece of the puzzle organizationally that the team is looking for. And, and Trace has a really good opportunity considering where he went in that draft. 
Yeah, and I, I know it's a different position, and we're going to morph into Bruce Brown. But, you know, like Isaiah Wong, he's a former Miami Hurricane, was a second-round draft pick. And now look at him. He signed a big contract right. uh, and played on a team that won the championship. So there's all kinds of opportunities uh, for players to improve and to make their own mark uh, in the NBA. Surely, you know, we see a lot of the, the great players go from college basketball, the NBA, and it can be somewhat seamless. But, uh, you know, all you have to do is look at somebody like Fred Van Vliet. He was undrafted uh, out of Wichita State and signed a big contract to go to Houston, a part of their championship team in Toronto a few years ago. So, as I've always said, there's no cookie-cutter approach to, to how you get to where you want to be. And, uh, you know, th- that's the beauty. Uh, I mean, that's the beauty about life in, e- in any uh you know, position. I mean, hey, you know, we listen. I love when you play your old uh, radio, uh, you know, from down in Vincennes, right? Oh, yeah. And, and, and you would have said, would I be hosting a talk show, uh, one of the most the successful sports talk show in Indianapolis? Well, yeah, because you worked at it and you had an opportunity. And I think that's the same thing that happens in the NBA. It's uh, Chris Denary, voice of the Pacers, Valley Sports, Indiana, via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pylon. Let's double back to Bruce Brown for a moment, too. And this goes, I think, three weeks as of Friday when we learned that uh, he was a hard target uh, of the Pacers at the end of, of my show when we learned that. Certainly, um, it was your initial thought kind of like mine of, wow, you know, it, it seems like there's a lot of bodies right there. And then the more that you soaked in exactly what the Pacers need and then why they ended up doing that. I guess what I'm saying here, did it make more sense, a little more investigating you did than maybe it initially did? Yeah, I think you're, you're looking for depth. Um, and, and I mean, he, he provides depth, but I mean, he, you know, he was a sixth man in, in Denver. You, you envision him as a starter uh, with the Pacers. And, you know, I, I looked at it last year, John, you know, they had players like Aaron Neesmith, who I thought had a really, really good year. Um, he had to start a lot, and, and maybe that wasn't what the projection was at the start of the year. Let's say he's coming off the bench this year. I mean, that, that, that makes your team you know, that much stronger because of the caliber of players you have coming off the bench. I think Rick Carlisle has said it. He, he loves competition. Uh, they, they, right now they have filled the, the 15 slots as far as the full roster is concerned. And it's probably as good depth-wise as we've seen in a, in a number of years. So there's going to be a lot of competition for playing time. Um, you know, you hope that you don't have injuries that, that make it a little bit easier for the coaching staff to fit players in. But, uh, you know, he – what do the Pacers now have, I think, the top three players in transition. And that's Halliburton, Toppin, and Bruce Brown. And we know the Pacers were one of the best fast-break teams in the NBA last year, and I think – They'll be even better this year. How much of it do you think regarding Toppin is, you know, I, I know it was the overall game and they didn't do this on a whim, but how much of it do you think did come from that, that takeaway of those couple of games late in which he went like 30-plus against them with, if you remember, Chris, that was with relative ease a couple of different times offensively for him. Yeah, I mean, he had a big game at Gamebridge Fieldhouse and then that final game of the year that the Pacers won. I mean, he was hitting threes and getting out in transition and dunking. I think the thing that makes you feel really good about that is, yeah, somebody could say, well, he did it twice against the Pacers playing 30 or more minutes. He just never played 30 or more minutes against many other teams because he was, you know, behind Julius Randle and and Randle as an all-star is going to get 
you know, 35 minutes a game. So what does that leave? About 13 minutes to play the backup position. And I think he averaged, what, 8.6 rebounds in about 13 minutes. So project those numbers if he's playing 25 to 30 minutes. He, he should be a really strong contributor. And it, it gives you the opportunity at the four to maybe bring Jairus Walker along a, a little bit slower than, than maybe you had planned. Um, but, but I like Obi Toppin. Again, he was a national player of the year at the University of Dayton a number of years ago, uh, uh, a really athletic player who loves to get out and transition. And I, I think it just makes the Pacers that much more potent on the offensive end. All right, I brought this up because there were just kind of trade rumors floating around at least this past week regarding T.J. McConnell. And I, I've outlined to my listening audience what I believe that would be missing without T.J. McConnell on this team. And while you can't often point to it in a box score, when you watch it in terms of uh, there being success on the floor when he is out there or at the end of the game, you can certainly see it and you can describe it then. How much would be missing if McConnell were no longer coming off this bench for this team? Well, I mean, I love T.J. McConnell, and I know he loves it here. He he loves the fan base and, and really enjoys playing in Indianapolis. And, um, I mean, he's a game changer, I mean, from the standpoint that when he comes in, his ability to get up and down the floor, you know, distribute the ball. I mean, we saw him shoot better than 40% from three last year. So, you know, I, I tend I tend really – Honestly, John, to not pay attention to all of the sort of noise that's out there and just sort of wait to see, you know, what happens. And I didn't really pay a lot of attention to the noise, you know, prior to the draft, really, and prior to free agency and those types of things. So a lot of times you and I talk, I mean, you'll see somebody with another team that writes, you know, like Alex Golden has setting the pace or somebody that's writing for the Phoenix Suns, whatever they are. They always post something that is the the deal is always pro Suns. It never helps the other team, and uh, so well, I, I can't think of a time when there's really ever been a deal that that has been pre-reported in this case that has ever right. been beneficial to the Pacers. I, I no, can't remember no. one. Yeah, no, all the deals that you always see that you know the Lakers people are posting and the Suns people are posting, and they're all posting deals that really help their team. <laughs> well, but never help the Pacers. So I, I just. I just tend to, if if it comes across on Twitter, and now I also am on threads, if it comes across, I just scoot past it. There's there's no reason for me to read it. Oh, so you're on threads too. I'm on threads as well. I had forgotten yeah. I'm on threads since the first day that I got on threads. Yeah, I'm on threads, and I've tried to go through and, and uh, you know, think about who do I follow, because um, I'm really not an Instagram person. I, I've been more, more of a Facebook person. Twitter person and so right. but but I have found I found threads uh, to be very interesting hmm. and I try to sort of look at them both all right I'm looking at mine right now I don't uh, I have I have uh, one week ago JMV says hello look I'm already posting in the third person that's douchey uh, hello and I'm learning <laughs> yeah I posted once I, I think have. I posted something about Tyrese Halliburton on threads I think that's the, that's the only post that I have. That's all I have on on threads so far. So I don't know. I'm a, I guess a creature of habit regarding. So that's just kind of where it is as far as uh, Twitter is concerned. All right. So um, how much time you're going to be able to take off here, and then 
what we always notice is we get to this time of year and you think you have all this time before things really ramp up and then all of a sudden it is there. So, And I guess I was going to ask you this too. What do you think about this whole tournament situation that's being implemented by the NBA? Yeah, I was on a conference call the other day uh, with our broadcast group. I mean, I, I, I think you, you do things. You, you, you can't constantly sit still. I mean, we're in a whole different way that we distribute games. I mean, who knows two years from now how it's all going to look. And, and so uh, I'm excited about it. I mean, um, I think the thing that the NBA will do, and they've learned, again, they use the G League, they use the WNBA to learn some things. Um, you know, the W has had the Commissioner's Cup. I, I think the way that they'll they'll do this will put more focus on these uh, tournament games against the, the four other teams that are in your pod. And I think they'll, they'll, they'll really do a good job on specific nights about saying, hey, this is uh, NBA Cup night. Um, so I, when, they, when they brought it up a year ago, I mean, I'm in favor of it. I, I, you know, I know there are a lot of people that don't like change, but I, I think I think it's an opportunity to do something a little bit different, to do something a little bit out of the box. And, you know, we'll know a little bit more when the season ends and when this in-season tournament ends, just how people have received it. But, but I think there's an opportunity here to, to do some things that, you know, the, the, the league has not done before. So basically at that point in time, you're, you're just outside the World Series window clearly in the teeth of the NFL football season getting toward the end of the college football regular season and you know into conference championships and 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 things of that nature um is is there any thought that maybe you, you kind of dive into this thing and, and wonder if the, the timing is right or you think that's the best you could come up with well, I'm, I'm sure they looked at some other timing that maybe you do it after the NFL season. I mean, I, I think that they will in the November, December time frame, you know, there are days that you can do it where you're not head-to-head with the NFL. Now, the NFL, of course, has expanded Sunday, Monday, Thursday, those types of things. Um, but, but I do think there are opportunities to sort of set yourself apart. Um, you know, if, if you go – into January or February after the NFL season or after the Super Bowl, then you've got college basketball as in in-conference play, which those games tend to be more viewed than maybe those games in the non-conference season. So, um, you know, I'm sure they looked at all those metrics and, and determined that um, at least year one, uh, this is what they feel like is the best opportunity for uh, the in-season tournament. The, the the four games that you play within your pod are still regular season games. They count in the 82-game schedule. And then, um, you know, the, the eight teams that advance uh, that will be hosted by a home team with a road team, and then the four teams that advance to Las Vegas will play the two semifinals on a neutral floor. That'll be game 82 for those teams. And then the 83rd game, uh, two teams will just have one extra game. So, for instance, John, if if the, the in the pod there are five teams, somebody's going to win. The other four then will have two additional games assigned to them on specific days in December that will com- be games number 81, 82. They'll, they'll be added. So uh, there will be specific days, but um, you won't know who you're going to play. Yeah, it's just it, – it is I – mean, one thing about it is we, we know that everybody loves a good tournament. Everybody loves, no matter really when, everybody loves a good tournament. And I will say this, 
A year ago, I kind of thought the same thing about the World Cup. The World Cup happened during the month of November a year ago, if you remember that, too. And uh, yep. um, it, it stood strong. I know it's soccer and it's global and it's different, but uh, I, I'm willing to because I like I like basketball. And I, I certainly love it when it is becoming more meaningful. I just I kind of wonder how the fans and then – you know, for the most part, I'm going to wonder how, how the teams are going to end up taking this and adapting to this. It'll be interesting. Yeah, I mean, part of it is, you know, clearly, you know, Adam Silver had, had focused on what happens over in, in European soccer when teams step out of the Premier League or the Italian League or the Spanish League and they, they play the Champions League, all those kinds of things. I think the other thing is, is I mean, when I was a part of Butler basketball doing all those games and, and we would go – um, and, and play in the Great Alaskan Shootout or a tournament in Hawaii. So that was an in-season tournament that, you know, really had no bearing on qualifying for the NIT or the NCAA. I mean, it helped you, of course, but you, you played those games trying to win a championship. So um, I, I, think the, it, I think the younger players, it'll be easier for them just because they've experienced it most recently in their college basketball days and even in their AAU or their high school days. Maybe for the grizzled old guy that's been in the NBA for 13 or 14 years, it'll be a little bit different. But, uh, again, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think, you know, we'll see how we can make it different from a broadcast end, all those kinds of things, uh, because you know that those four games, even though they count in your regular season standings, trying to get to the playoffs or the play-in or whatever – they still give you an opportunity to, to advance to the NBA Cup Elite Eight. It's uh, Chris Denary, who is, again, a grandfather. Now, not just once, but twice with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline. It is always a pleasure. Once again, congratulations. And you're going to get to do any uh, your time, any concert stuff, anything like that? Well, we've got uh, we're heading to Boston and Portland, Maine next week. We we've not been home much uh, in July. I have a nephew. Seafood time, Tom. everybody. Yeah, That's my, nice. My, my brother Tom, uh, his son is getting married out in Portland, Maine, on an island. So we will take a ferry nice. from Portland, Maine, to the island for the wedding, and then back across the ferry for the reception. So oh, the wedding! You know, the wedding dinner is going to have lobster on yeah. that thing oh, too. Yeah. That's beautiful. So, so we have built a couple of days uh, to go, you know, to go into Boston um, and do that. And then, you know, for the better part of August, uh, home. And then we go to uh, Pauly's Island for a week with our just our family, um, our, our grandsons, my, my sons, their wives, that kind of stuff. So and then, you know, September, I'll, I'll spend a lot of time, of course, getting ready um, because you're right. It, it hits you pretty quick. But uh we had a very enjoyable summer, uh, you know, watching uh, a lot of uh, Archer, our 20-month-old our grandson. Just been a blast with him. And uh, looking forward to seeing uh, Walker uh, again very, very soon. That's awesome. Hey, congratulations to you and the entire family. And, uh, you know, safe travels when you go to Maine. That sounds like a hell of a wedding to be a part of right there. I should be DJing that one. <laughs> you should be. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to it. I, I mean, I've been to Boston. My wife's never been to Boston. My uh, my my other uh, my son, his wife, and my other son have all been there, uh, but we we've never been to Maine, so we're really looking forward to that. So yeah, it's the it's the summer of travel, John. I made a little note to myself. I go, I've stayed in more hotel rooms and stuff during this summer. I feel like it's I'm on an NBA trip or something. So uh, 
but it's it's been good to be home this week. All right, buddy. I appreciate you. We'll be in touch again soon. All right. Thanks, John. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline right now, did a great job in for me yesterday, as he usually does. He is Greg Rakestraw, who joins us now. So uh, Jack inside the lounge here says, can you ask Greg about the Indy 11 and the uh, women hosting the national championship this weekend? Tell Jack about that. I certainly will. But first of all, hello, how are you? And I hope to goodness that you weren't listening on your day off, that you took three hours and did something else with your life and weren't listening to the show i did not i did yeah i did i did not i didn't listen to anything uh well i did i listened to uh 1979 american top 40 july 1979 (laughs) and uh i listened to july 1983 american top 40 i listened to two that's the most JMB way to spend a day off I've ever heard. <laughs> While you were mowing your grass, I'm assuming, is yeah. what you were doing yesterday. It was very, very, very impressive right there. I was singing Sad Eyes a lot of the time yesterday and, you know, wondering, what was I doing whenever this song was number 10 in 1979? So, yeah, I often hearken back to what I was doing when this this actually first time took place, too. And it's also cool, sometimes you get a long-distance dedication and you'll hear it from the state of Indiana. That's pretty sweet. You, you think you actually know the people? Like, they are still together, like, 44 years later. Well, like, I know those guys. They made it. There is uh, one from the early 80s where um, it was the long-distance dedication was from Lagoti. Very nice. Very <laughs> yeah, nice. Indeed. Now, to, to, before I steered you in a different direction, I answer Jack's question. Yeah. Yes, the Indy 11 women are playing in and are hosting the W League Championship. Uh, that will be at Carroll Stadium at 2 o'clock. And the uh, ticket for the men's game on Saturday night gets you into the women's game. Or if you buy a ticket for the women's game, you get to sit around and watch the men's game as they play Tampa Bay at 7 o'clock. So, John, you were out there for, uh, I know, some of the yeah. uh, undrafted stuff and kind of before the last women's regular season game a couple, three weeks ago. There are 65 teams in the league. They're in the final two. They are hosting the North Carolina Courage who play in the NWSL, they have a U23 or a college-based team, which is also what, like, Racing Louisville has that, that we have played a couple of times over the course of this year. So um, it's, it's not exclusively players from Central Indiana, but as I kind of rattled off yesterday on the show, in the starting 11, there are players that attended Zionsville, Noblesville, Rebuff Jesuit, Carmel, Delta, Triton Central, amongst others, not to mention players like Maddie Williams, who lives here, who played at Purdue, happens to be from Perrysburg, Ohio, and frankly, she's a pro-level player who happens to uh, make a full-time living as an engineer and still has the competitive itch to play soccer after she had played professionally in uh, Netherlands and and in Spain. So it's really a high quality, and, and luckily, fingers crossed it stays this way, the forecast looks absolutely fantastic for Saturday afternoon. And no doubt you need that. Greg Raystraw is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. The other thing I wanted to ask you, I thought of it as you were talking right there. Have they started now in progress of the the facility that they're building down that's going to take the place of Diamond Chain? So I literally just happened to drive by. Let's see. I was, I was, going, to, I was going to Decatur Central for the yeah. All-Star Game Friday, so I was driving by Kentucky Avenue. Uh, I'm not sure if they have started kind of the teardown process just yet, 
All that I see is the signs that say 11 Park is coming soon. So kind of their timeline has always been at some point in time in 2025 um, to get the men's season kicked off to where they're just playing there and not playing at IUPUI, that would be April of 2025. The women's team will bump up and play in a a soon-to-be-created professional league called the Super League. The league itself starts next August. Indy is hoping to play in August of 2025. And typically it has been kind of a two-year turn in terms of building a soccer-only facility. So hopefully things are starting to come down soon. Shovels really go on the ground. I don't know we have the groundbreaking ceremony on May 31st. Hopefully that stuff starts to happen. And, again, the first kind of goal will be to have it ready for April 2025. I still think there's time for that to be the case. He is uh, Greg Rakestraw, who was kind enough to be in for me yesterday. He joins us today via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. This story broke, I think, late yesterday. I'm assuming you probably talked about this a little bit. And it seems like you and others that are certainly more in the know at the high school level than the average fan of either IU or Purdue, it seemed like those in the know were were much less surprised of the Flory Badunga final four list than maybe some fans were yesterday correct yeah it it just never seemed that iu was serious in the mix i thought purdue was a little more seriously in the mix than iu was tell you i'm slightly surprised that purdue didn't make its final four but i know in in talking with those that i was around say for the indiana kentucky all-star week of which flory was a part of it kind of around being in the pangos all-american camp you know, Michigan had been prominently mentioned. Duke had been prominently mentioned. Uh, obviously, Bruce Pearl has, has spent time and money, and let's not lie about this. There are now resources that are involved that's yeah. legal and above the board at this point, which right. is why, you know, Auburn being a part of it. You know, and and, and Auburn's it. really good at that for a long time. Some may be yeah. starting at, at square one. Auburn is not one of those programs in anything probably that has. Exactly right. So um, I'm, I'm a little disappointed, but again, I, I, I have such belief in the kid and he's so likable uh that i'm kind of like hey listen and any kid has the right to play wherever they want to i always hope they they elect to stay locally uh especially knowing how good his experience has been at kokomo over these last couple of years but it's his right to say you know what i want to go someplace else and and that obviously appears that's going to be the case yeah so i I, it just kind of seemed like to me greg that the the guys like you and you're around it all the time others that are around it all the time did not seem as surprised as both iu and purdue fans felt they were yesterday and and again i said it just it just never seemed that there was really a connection between he and and mike woodson staff and that's not pointing a finger or blaming anybody it just kind of didn't work out that way um, again, Purdue had invested, I thought, a little more time and, and effort. And, and obviously, given their track record of landing so many of the best bigs in this state, you thought maybe there was a chance that that, that would continue here, but whatever reasons didn't work out. Did you have much recollection? The reason why I bring this up is because he was a part of that Cleveland team that just won the Summer League title. you have much recollection of Craig Porter that attended Terre Haute South and Vincennes? I do, uh, and he would have been around, I think, kind of at the same time as Jalen Minnette. I think Minnette would have been a year or two older than him. Um, but, you know, Craig went the Vincennes route and then went out to Wichita State. Uh, but but Jalen got so much of the headlines as an all-star level player. But, you know, I, I think of our buddy Rick Semler out there who would always sing, you know, Craig's praises. 
And this is this happens a lot. I mean, and the ultimate example I give is a guy like Jack Doyle with the Colts. You know, there are always guys that make it, and you go, yeah, I expected that guy to be a great player. Other guys, they go, man, I didn't see that coming. Maybe Porter was that guy. Um, he was a very good high school player, but he wasn't the guy on his high school team. But there are guys that, you know, they're frankly going to, you know, work their way into an, an, an opening or a chance like that. And I hope what he did in the summer league springs him onto a, a significant chance at, at, at playing and sticking in the NBA. It seems like this. You get both, or at least in the past, you've gotten both of those aspects as you just, I think, so eloquently described. You get the, you know, maybe not number one on your team, but worked ass off and got really good. Or maybe you get somebody that's number one on the team that still has to take care of a lot of other aspects um, to grow as a player. Vincennes has, historically speaking, got a lot of those types of players. Of course. And obviously, you know, it's not fun. You know, if you're in Terre Haute, it's easy to go across across the state line and go play at Lincoln Trail or Olney or inserting one of the, you know, 20-something junior college programs in the state of Illinois. Uh, but if you're going to play the JUCO route here in this state, you're going to go to Vincennes. They kind of have the market cornered, you know, really at this juncture. Um, but to me, Craig's story, obviously Vincennes plays a part of it. But it's just kind of, you know, desire and want to. And maybe the guy that, that for whatever reason, he, he, he popped into my head. And, and you, I'm assuming, know him well from your ties to Paramaridian, Andre Owens. You know, Andre was a great high school player. Andre was at IU, ended up at Texas Tech. I think anybody thought he'd be playing for the Pacers a handful of years later, but there he was, and, and he's still hooping in places like yeah. the City League and, and played overseas and things like that. There are there are a certain handful of, of players that are just blessed by the Lord above, and, and they have such natural talent. And, and the, the difference in the guys below that is who's going to work the hardest and who's going to believe the most. And I kind of get the indication that Porter's one of those guys that's going to that's going to work until the end that's going to believe until the end and is going to keep playing until somebody takes the jersey off. And, you know, it's interesting you bring up Perry Meridian too because Dylan Windler was like that. He played on an AEU team that was showcased in Vegas and at the time I think he was maybe 4 or 5, you know, deep in that starting lineup and and Rick Bird and Belmont hard targeted him just by watching other dudes and you know, gave him a, a great collegiate career that has been certainly NBA wise often injured but uh, a kickstart as a first round pick of the NBA it is funny how things tend to happen like that and and the guy that then that translates to now because Belmont obviously identifies a certain type of player and says hey that's the guy that can play for us Sam Ormond is down there now from Carmel yeah um you know Sam's best shooting year might have been a sophomore year probably because he was asked to do less as a sophomore and and the players he had around him as, as a junior and then a senior but now that he is going back to a situation where, you know, he's, he's not necessarily has to be Batman. He can kind of be more of a Robin, especially as a freshman. If he, if, if that stroke is going, he can put up some big numbers. And even though it's not Rick Bird's team anymore, it's still Rick Bird's system. And I think that kid's a perfect fit down in Music City. Here's Greg Rakestraw with us. I, did you see any of what? Joey Hart at all did playing really for the first time, obviously with with Kentucky in uh, that tournament with Canada over the weekend. Just see any of that? Other than knowing he had a chance to play and saw some pictures fly by on social media, I got to admit to you that other than following Brandon Ramsey on Twitter, 
There's not exactly a lot of Kentucky basketball interaction <laughs> I usually have Understand. during the course of the summer, but I did see that he did get to play. And, you know, I think if somebody had said, you know, three months ago, hey, this kid's going to get play at the University of Kentucky, I'm not sure most would have believed you. I realize these games don't count, but good for him that he's getting an opportunity and he can go make the most of it. Yeah, I just, I think most people would have thought, yeah, I mean, I, how the opportunity even came about. And you can understand why, you know, obviously he was going to Central Florida, which was transitioning into the Big 12, um, and then all of a sudden decided to uh, reopen, and Kentucky was the reason why he decided to reopen, ultimately. And, and again, I wish you nothing but the best. Do I, do I worry about that being level being maybe a bit much for him? I absolutely do. Uh, but I hope I'm wrong, and I hope that kid's right. Uh, and and I'm, I'm I'm rooting for him. I hope he does great things down in Lexington. All right, as a Reds fan, did you uh, celebrate enough over the past month to make up for knowing kind of where this thing was going to be steered to at some point with the remainder of the season? Weight of expectations. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we, it's funny we've been over the moon about what being six games above 500. Yeah. If you had said you know 30 days ago, hey, the Reds will be in first place at the All Star break, we wouldn't have believed you. And and that's exactly how it played out. And now and they're kind of coming back to earth a little bit, and, and that's understandable. Um, but they're still in it with less than 70 games to go. They're all with two games back, and they're hovering on a wild card berth. Um, yeah, there are question marks, and yes, they are young. And, and frankly, there's this thing, John, called videotape. It's all on hard drives now. But once you take enough at-bats, there's kind of some, some tape and some scouting that goes, all right, this is, I think, where we can get this guy out. So... Um, it, it, there's going to be some growing pains, but the fact the Reds are above 500, competing for a division championship, and John, I think they've had like 16 players make their MLB debut this year. That number is astronomical. That that number is one that I think would be associated with like like the A's being in last place, not a team that's competing for first base place. So um, they're they're still far ahead of anything we could have ever dreamed approaching the hundred game mark. What you got going on this weekend? Well, what I got going on this weekend is all Indy Eleven soccer. So now with the Indy Eleven women playing Saturday, I've got a doubleheader on Saturday. So two o'clock ISC Sports Network and Eleven Sports for the W League Championship match, then 7 o'clock on RTV6 and ESPN Plus for the Indy 11 men versus the Tampa Bay Rowdies. I love it if you're able to watch both broadcasts. I love it even more if you fill Carroll Stadium for both of those matches. So one ticket gets you into both. Pay to park once. Don't leave. Uh, it is an, it's an amazing deal. Indy11.com, 317-685-1100 for ticket information. Yeah, thanks again for yesterday, too, Greg. And it's always a pleasure to have you on every Tuesday. Have a great weekend. Give me a call Saturday night. I apologize for not calling this Saturday night. I was doing baseball in Logansport this weekend with ISC, and Mother Nature kind of got in the way. So I had, like, one <laughs> window to call at, like, 830, and you were apparently too busy to take my call to play Winona's Big Brown Beaver. So we will bring uh, that back at some point in time I, soon. I uh, well, broke records on Saturday. I took over 180 requests. Jeez. And I, I even, I like, I had to go to the bathroom a couple of times. This is like a one-man operation, so I had to, like, put the phone on hold. I'd have gone over 200 if I'd have let the thing go. I mean, it was, you do the 90s, we so frequently 
uh, in this case, infrequently do the 90s, that I think it makes people more excited and starved for it, and it was it was jammed all night. It was incredible. Well, just treat this, treat it like a baseball road trip in the Eastern Green Days. Just take a two-liter, that way you don't have to leave the room. You'll be just fine. <laughs> I know exactly. <laughs> out the window, out that back door. We used to be able to open the back well, door. I don't know if you can do I, I that anymore. Th- so I've tried. I don't think you can open the windows in that studio, <laughs> so the two-liter might be the way to go. All right, buddy, I appreciate you. See you, pal.